Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the MedFem podcast. I'm Jules Hammond-Durant, and I'm here with Ellen O'Connor. And today we have another episode of our Inspirational Women in Medicine series, where we will be interviewing Dr. Lucy Desmond, the founder of Beauty Within Medicine. We'd like to start by acknowledging the traditional custodians and rightful owners of the land on which we are recording today, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, the Yorta Yorta peoples, and the Bangarang peoples. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and we'd also like to acknowledge any First Nations people listening to this podcast. Today we're going to be interviewing Dr Lucy Desmond, who is the founder of Beauty Within Medicine. Beauty Within Medicine is a company that aims to revolutionise medical education, break down stigma and modernise the way that medical education is taught. It produces high yield and aesthetically pleasing resources that deliver easily digestible summaries of known evidence and resources that celebrate diversity and are inclusive of all. Dr Desmond herself is a current doctor who graduated from medicine at Melbourne University a few years ago and is currently doing basic physicians training. She is also involved in the medical education uh, as a tutor for medical students at the University of Melbourne and is an accomplished speaker in the field of medical education. She has authored numerous medical publications and is currently writing a textbook on respiratory medicine. We are incredibly thankful to Dr. Lucy Desmond for talking to us today about her journey through medicine, her work with Beauty Within Medicine, her perspectives on current medical education in the medical system and her vision for the future. Thank you so much, Lucy, for joining us today. Um, to begin with, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what your journey through medicine has been like? Yeah, so I kind of um, had a not super straightforward kind of entry into medicine. I didn't necessarily think it was definitely what I wanted to do when I was going through school and did biomedicine, as a lot of people suggested, would be a good idea. Um, enjoyed the science aspect and obviously the, the ongoing learning. Um, I had a year off in that undergrad degree um, and I literally just spent like a year doing short courses and trying to work out what my hobbies were <laughs> because I felt like I just spent most of school just studying. Um, and then I took another year off after biomed and pretty much did exactly the same thing. I kind of became a yoga instructor for a bit and then did a massage course and I don't know, I was a bit all over the place just trying to find myself and then um yeah then decided no I think that medicine is is the way that I want to go um and continued uh did the course the four, four years at Melbourne Uni um and then went into internship at Western Health so I was there as a uh, as a student so I think I gravitated there just it felt comfortable but also the uh, culture there is is wonderful um, but then I took another two years off to start Beauty Within Medicine and then I've returned back to full-time clinical this year. So I guess um, not super straightforward um, direction into medicine. I think the reason why medicine is where I've ended up is it's awesome. You get to continually learn and that's encouraged from all people um, and also just that regular, genuine human connection with people that you get on a day-to-day day -day basis. So yeah, not straightforward pathway at all. <laughs> all right, that sounds great. Could you tell us maybe a bit more now about um, Beauty Within Medicine and what inspired you to start it? Yeah, so a bit of an interesting one, really. I 
actually had a dream at the end of internship or towards the end of internship. I already had a position to start BPT1. Um, but then I just, yeah, had this dream about starting a textbook. And then I just had this flood of ideas of content creation, which is was really unusual for me. I've never really seen myself as a creative person. And I certainly enjoyed formatting my notes in medical school, um, but it wasn't, you know, I don't know, I wasn't, I didn't get involved in teaching really at, in, uh, during medical school, but yeah, so I just kind of had this, literally had a dream and then started having all of these ideas and I just had to wake up in the middle of the night and write them all down. Um, and so I decided that um, maybe that was a direction that I wanted to kind of pursue and, and test out. So I was fortunate and had a really, wonderful supportive family um, who and, and husband who were happy for me to take the time off um, and also supportive people at Western Health that were happy for me to have the year just to explore this new kind of found area. Um, and I think it was all, I think it kind of all came about uh, because I was reflecting on the teachers that I'd had during medical school and the ones that really stood out were the ones that were able to bridge that gap between theoretical knowledge or your book knowledge and then the clinical application. Um, I like to call them book smarts and street smarts and they kind of managed to bridge that gap and that just made internships so much easier and there were so many things that I think that are missed in teaching between the final year med school and internship and that's kind of the area that I wanted to overcome um, with beauty within medicine and on top of that there are medicine so conservative and so I felt that super socially outdated in so many ways um, and so it was kind of awesome because I also felt passionate about that area and I think that having that aspect also brings another layer to beauty within medicine that I try and um, infuse in the content rather than explicitly finding the need to discuss it so things like sex gender um, you know, having surface anatomy on, on different shapes and sizes, which is something that we're also doing on the side. But um, yeah. That all sounds so awesome. And like such a, I don't know, such a good reason to um, start beauty medicine within medicine and everything that you've mentioned as well about like trying to sort of encompass that more socially progressive thing. I feel like that definitely comes through because that's one of the things I've really noticed about beauty med within medicine, which I really love. Um, so yeah, I think that's so cool. And um, in terms of like, I guess, cause obviously, you know, now you're back to working full time. Um, how are you kind of, I mean, I know it's just the beginning, but how are you finding balancing that with sort of running a company on the side? Like that sounds like such a handful. Yeah, so I think, so the last two years has just been awesome because I've been able to have this really wonderful eclectic week where I've been creating content for social media. I've been able to, I've written a book in that time, which is currently in review um, and that's called Breeze and that's on the respiratory system. Um, I had the opportunity to teach at Melbourne University um, and also Western Health Clinical School. Um, and yeah, I just got to meet lots of different interesting people who were doing different things that weren't necessarily clinical medicine. So now coming back to full-time clinical medicine has certainly been challenging and I'm still kind of going through waves of, um, you know, it's all about balance, isn't it? It's so challenging, I think, in life to find the perfect balance where you're exercising enough and you're eating well and 
doing our study and working and, you know, at the moment, I think I haven't quite got the balance with full-time work, but um, I think I'm now in my fifth week back to full-time work um, and I think I'm starting to get back on my feet again. Um, I'm currently basic physician trainee first year, so I'm planning to do the exams at the beginning of 2023, so I'll need to incorporate study in there as well um so i'll have to get back to you on the balancing act but yeah it's it's challenging um but i just need to come back to the reason why i started it and it's i feel really lucky i get to create content for students medical students and junior doctors and it's the kind of content that i wanted so if i'm creating that and there's one person that benefits from one of those posts well that's job well done in my eyes um and that that makes me happy and um hopefully that makes them happy and everyone's happy and we're all learning <laughs> that sounds like such an incredible effort to be balancing so many things at once um including the teaching which we're wondering a bit more about what um interested you or motivated you to get involved with doing some teaching yeah, so I think it, it really, um, in medical school, I think I was saying earlier, I really didn't have, well, I think I had an interest in teaching, but I didn't, my confidence to teach was not there. Uh, and I just always felt that, you know, why should I be a peer tutor? I don't feel like I know enough to be able to teach the year below. Like I'm still struggling with the content that I've got right now in this year. So I didn't really gravitate towards doing any kind of peer tutoring or anything during medical school because I think it was a lack of confidence in myself and my knowledge. Um, I do think though peer tutors are incredible because you're so close to the content um, and you remember what it was like to learn that, that content. And so therefore you're able to teach it better often than seniors. And that's a lot of the reason why I actually jumped off the tram tracks after internship because I realized that if I kept going through clinical medicine um, that maybe I would lose that insight into what it felt like to be a student so um, I think it was really an internship that I realized I reflected on some of the wonderful educators that I had a lot of them were female <laughs> um, that were really inspiring strong women um, and they managed to kind of yeah, inspire me, but also teach me how to apply the knowledge in a clinical setting. Um, and yeah, and that's why I jumped off early because I actually wanted to almost be like a peer tutor where I was still really close to the content. I remembered exactly what I didn't know and how embarrassing it was to not know something that seemed like everyone else knew it um, and then kind of break it down into parts, not assuming any knowledge and then being able to deliver that content in the way that I would have liked it to have been delivered to me. Um, yeah, so I think that was a very long-winded answer to your question, but I think that teaching, I didn't realise I wanted to do teaching until internship, um, but I, I highly recommend if anyone feels like it's something that's of interest to them in medical school, to have confidence in your knowledge, because I honestly believe that, you know, an MD teaching an MD2 about you know X or an MD2 teaching an MD1 that education session can often be so much better than if you know a third year doctor is teaching an MD2 because they're not I think we get out of sync with how how much we've learnt in such a short period of time 
Yeah, that, um, that makes sense. And I feel like that's so true because I think we, you know, you forget how much you've actually learned and you forget what it's like to not know something that now is so obvious to you. Um, Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like that actually makes, yeah, that makes so much sense. Um, I guess going back a little bit maybe earlier to what you were saying in terms of your journey through medicine, um, it seems like, you know, you've had maybe like a slightly less traditional or direct entry into it, which um, can be a little bit different to what we often see at Melbourne Uni, which is like quite a streamlined sort of entry. Um, and I guess sort of going off of that, do you have any advice for anybody who maybe feels like they don't fit the sort of traditional, you know, mold of medicine, be that in terms of like the path they've taken or just the, who they are in terms of their identity or their background? Yeah, absolutely. So I still don't feel like I fit into medicine. <laughs> um, even just being asked to do this podcast is overwhelming for me because it doesn't feel like I'm, you know, doing anything that's special or anything that's inspiring or, you know, I still feel like an imposter whenever I walk into the hospital. I was having this discussion with another resident actually and she said that she felt like an imposter. It's like, but you know so much information. And I was like, how can you be an imposter? But it just never ends. It's just exhausting with medicine because it's just this chronic, I think particularly for women or for people that feel perhaps identify in a different way to what's considered you know normal by society which is just ridiculous I think for anyone that feels that they don't fit in um, know that everyone else feels the same <laughs> um, I think for me uh, going through I think it took me a while to apply for medicine because I wasn't certain that it would be suitable for me or my personality type perhaps or I just didn't really feel like um I don't know it, I think it's a sensation I think that a lot of people experience where it's just like oh am I good enough am I smart enough can I do it um I, I genuinely believe that anyone can do medicine so long as you've got adequate time and adequate resources to be able to study I think in, and, and be open to doing the study for medicine I don't think it you know, medical school is hard, but it's the volume of knowledge that's required and the dedication that's required that makes it so difficult. I think if anyone feels like they don't fit in, I think that they should um, find people that are open to having a discussion about that, who are in either in medical school or who are doctors and say, hey, I don't feel like I fit in. And I guarantee you that every single person you speak to will feel an element of that also. Um, and I think it's just that imposter syndrome that's just everywhere because um, we're all genuinely gen typically quite high achievers I also think if you don't feel like you fit in then take a year off um, go and explore some other things and then and you can always come back it's um, the wonderful thing about medicine is that it never goes away so um, if you want to take a year off during the four years of postgrad or in your undergrad um, time I, I don't think I think it can be frowned upon and certainly taking time off when you become a doctor can sometimes be frowned upon as well, particularly if there's not a specific reason. So you're not specifically taking it off to do a PhD or you're not specifically taking it off to, you know, have a baby. Um, I think there is stigma around that, but I encourage it. You know, I would strongly encourage anyone who's even thinking about taking time off to do it because you really can't lose I don't think you can lose. You can you can only gain from that experience. The one recommendation or one caveat to that though is for anyone that does do medical school, you must do internship after. That's something 
so my mum is a doctor and, and she's um, one of my role models. She's incredible. And she said, you must do internship after medical school. And I was very like, I want to take a year off. But if you finish internship, you get your, you know, your ticket. Um, and then, you know, you can take a year off and then come back and that's fine. But it's just about getting that ticket and the end of medical school isn't the ticket, the end of internship is. Thank you. That was a lot of um, really useful advice to reflect on, especially about the fact that, you know, everyone has some degree of imposter syndrome at some time. It's pretty reassuring to remember. Um, going back to your work with Beauty Within Medicine, um, I suppose, what do you think are some things that need changing in medicine and what kinds of things do you foresee changing in the field in the future? So many things need to be changed. <laughs> so um, oh, maybe I'll say three things that I think definitely need to be changed is I think that the way that medicine is taught and the inclusion criteria for people that can apply to medicine is socially outdated. So in terms of the application process, um, there's discrimination against people who um, have disabilities, which I strongly disagree with. Um, and then also within medicine, um, I think that there is there are a lot of things within that we can talk about that after if you want, that I think need to be changed in the way that it's educated to be socially inclusive of everyone. Um, I think that the second thing is that there should absolutely be more flexibility in the training programs, um, particularly for people who, who would like to have children. Um, it's exceptionally difficult to find a training program that will be flexible for you, particularly in the hospital setting. I think general practice is a specialty that is a bit more progressive in that way, where they're open to um, you having time off to have a child if that is something that you want. Um, but yeah, so that's number two, but I think that that's probably an issue in a lot of occupations. Um, and then number three is I think that if we started educating everyone about medicine so if education of the human body was started at a younger age for everyone so at primary school level and secondary school um, in a much more in-depth way I actually think that that would well obviously that would strongly increase health literacy and then I think we would actually have a much more functional system where people would present at the right times um, for them and they have an understanding of their body and even just basic things like getting informed consent for removing someone's gallbladder. You, you don't have to go through the process of explaining what a gallbladder is to someone by the bedside because they'll already know it because they've learnt it. Um, I always found that just crazy when I did my one surgical rotation, which I'm never going back to again because surgery is not for me. <laughs> but I found that you know, having to explain what an organ in someone's body is, it's just wild. Like I, we have these incredible machines within our bodies and yet we don't know and we know all these other, yeah, I just, I just wish that the health literacy was lifted and, and that would be a very easy fix by, you know, providing more time in schooling to learn about the body, yeah. Yeah, those are all... Um such good points and that's actually such a good point that you bring up about like increasing you know health education from an earlier age because I guess that would improve um yeah like health literacy but also just like an understanding of the medical system and what to do and when to go and get help and all Absolutely. of that um 
Yeah, which is like such a such a good point to bring up because like I feel like not many people maybe think about it in that way. Yeah, yeah. Um, going off a little bit about what you said earlier in terms of, you know, um, taking time off for um, having children as much as that's not necessarily a gendered issue. Um, I think for some people it can be. So do you kind of feel like there are challenges that come with being a doctor and a person that identifies as a woman? Yes. So I think, um, and so, so I'm a 30 year old female, I'm married um, and children is something that I would like. That's not the case for every person who is able to have children. They might not all want to have children. And that's so wonderful that we're able, even able to have that discussion where it's okay to not want to have children, but I would like children and it is hard to work out where to do it. And everyone says there's no right time. And you know, I think doing post-grad med, you know, if you're, you know, someone who is able to reproduce, it's hard because you finish and you're like 26, 27. I've taken a few more years off and you're 30. I haven't yet specialised. So trying to fit that all in and work out this, like, I feel like I've got all these blocks and I'm trying to do the perfect Tetris thing and I'm just not sure how it's all meant to fit. Um, I'm really lucky in that I've got some wonderful female role models that I've kind of just you know, I've always had some wonderful female role models in medicine around me, including my mum, as I mentioned before, but I also um, have two new ones this year. Um, and one is my supervisor for physicians training, um, Dr. Claire White. And then there's also the supervisor of BPT, um, Dr. Elkie Hendrick. And both of them, it was, I had a chat with them recently and it was so lovely that they were open to discussing, you know, where do children fit? And, and they both have these incredibly successful careers. They're in leadership roles. They've managed to have children. They've kind of managed to do it all. And essentially what both of them have said to me is you can do it all, but not all at once. <laughs> so it's just about trying to work out, you know, what are your goals? What are your priorities? And then trying to work out, where you can fit those things in and, and at what timing. So for me, um, I would really like to specialise. I'm quite keen to do geriatrics and my plan at the, at the moment, which seems to be forever changing, <laughs> is to do physician's training. Then if we're lucky enough to have children, that would be wonderful. Um, and then I'm not really in any rush for advanced training if, if I'm lucky enough to get into geriatrics or if my mind changes. But um, I think if so, if you are very focused on kind of specialising in something as soon as possible, that can make it more difficult for you if you also want children because I just think the time required to work, study and have children is hard. My mum has always said to me, you know, with those things, you can study, work, have kids, you can pick two, you can't have all three at the same time. So, yeah, I think I don't think there's any answer for that, but I certainly think that it's can be can be difficult if you're someone that would like to have children and specialise. You've just kind of got to work out your timing. You can have it all though, just not all at once. <laughs> that sounds like pretty solid practical advice. Um, so thank you for that. And I'm just curious, um, what what has kind of drawn you to being interested in geriatrics? Yeah, I, it's funny because in internship, it wasn't really um, a big interest for me actually. And then in the two years where I was um, doing beauty within medicine and teaching, I actually 
was the work that I was doing was in aged care. So I was doing these aged care weekend shifts at um, Sunshine Hospital. Um, and I just found this wonderful group of nurses there who were just amazing. Um, and I realized for me, I feel like geriatrics is really holistic. I really like looking at bowel charts and, you know, their food intake and um, I don't know, I just, often they're quite complex. They've got a lot of past history and really it's more about kind of winding back often, winding back that therapy and making sure that that person's having a good quality of life rather than ramping it all up and, you know, making everything more complicated. It's, it's trying to simplify things, I think. And um, yeah, I just, whenever I, there are so many wonderful geriatricians that I've seen work by the bedside. Dr. Linda Pai-Kubi is, is one who I've had the pleasure of working lots of, lots of times. And she's just the most wonderful geriatrician. She, she takes her time and she's, um, she sees the person as a person and not as a patient. Um, and then, yeah, it just, yeah, holistic is all I, all I can say. And also the people by the bedside are so interesting. They've lived so many years. And so they've got all these wonderful stories and you ask how they met their wife of 60 years and they say they met at a dancing hall and, you know, they were doing the waltz or I don't know, just like really interesting people with interesting stories. They've all got histories and, um, yeah, it's just seeing the person as a whole person and not as a part of the body or, um, you know, a patient. Yeah, that sounds so lovely. Um, and it's really, it's really interesting because I guess um, I don't know much about the field of geriatrics, but it makes sense that it would kind of have a bit more of a holistic um, focus because like, I guess as we, you know, get older and accumulate more life history, we become more complex um, so yeah, that definitely sounds like a really interesting kind of area. Um, and I guess seeing as you've touched on a little bit about what's, what your thinking is coming up next for you medically, um, what do you think is kind of next on the horizon for beauty within medicine? Yeah, so good question. And that's where the Tetris comes in and where everything is going to fit in. So, um, I love writing content and all I want to do is create a series of books for every system. But at the moment, it's really just me and, and my designer, Emily Thiang, who's the most, she brings my ideas to life. So I can draw very, you should see some of the mind maps I create are just atrocious. And then I'll send them to her and she just makes them look magnificent. She's the most amazing designer. Um, so the plan for Beauty Within Medicine at the moment we're continuing to try and create daily or release daily social content. We try and release weekly ward stories, except it can be quite challenging to find doctors and medical students or allied health professionals to write them. But I think we've got about 60 on our website at the moment. Um, and then we also try and release a one, one page or two page summary every month to our community members who sign up for free online. And they, they really just vary based on, you know, what I, content I feel like creating or, or content if someone approaches me that they'd like to do a collaboration that we feel like creating together. Um, we have a respiratory book. It's 220 pages and that's written. It's called Breathe. Um, and that is currently in review. So I gave it to the respiratory reviewers about two months ago. Um, so that'll go through the review process um, this year um, that'll probably go back and forth a number of times before we can release it because we want to make sure it's you know but I'm, I feel most proud of that um, and 
We also have Destigmatize, that's in the design process at the moment. So Destigmatize is a book um, that'll be split kind of into one half, well, the book is based on photographs that we've taken of people nude. Um, and the, the purpose is to display surface anatomy on people of different sizes, shapes, ages, ethnicities, um, just to break that barrier of, you know, always doing surface anatomy on that same style of person. Um, and Kate Shaughnessy is our photographer and she's done the most magnificent photos. So half of the book will be, um, you know, we got people to do a pose at the very, very end of the surface anatomy component of the photo shoot that felt that expressed that, you know, the person felt that the pose expressed themselves. Um, and, and so there'll be half the book will be photos of those poses with a quote about their body and how they feel that society views their body or how they view their body. And then the second half will all be um, surface anatomy on all of those people. So we've photographed 62 people. We have 500 people on a wait list. <laughs> and the idea, we'd love to be able to photograph them all, but you know, all in good time, hopefully. Um, so we've got that. And then doctoring is currently in the process of being written and that will be like our intern manual. I always dreamed of getting that out of like, you know, one or two years ago, but it's just been, you know, we focused on breathe first and then destigmatize. So that's being written in the process. I'm anticipating that all three of them will probably get released next year, actually, once we've all gone through a review. And then the hope is that we would write, you know, a, a book for every system. So the next one would be cardiovascular, which will be calling pump. And then we'll do gastrointestinal, which will be digest. And then neuro, which will be think. So, um, yeah, so that that's the long-term plan. <laughs> but then I've got this Tetris, which we spoke about earlier, trying to fit in physicians training and children. I don't know how it's all going to come together, but I'm giving it a go. And, you know, it, it's probably going to be slow for the books to come out because at the moment it's really just me, my designer and our photographer. Uh, but maybe, you know, as the, as the years progress, maybe we'll get some people on board to help with the writing and be able to produce books faster. That sounds like you've got some absolutely amazing stuff in the works at the moment and definitely can't wait to see how it all comes together. Um, so just in terms of where our listeners can find Beauty Within Medicine online, especially if they're interested in contributing, um, where would that be? Yeah, absolutely. So we try and release um, content daily on Facebook, on Facebook and Instagram. Um, we have had actually a lot of people that have helped to contribute content. You can find their names on our website. At the moment, we're not really accepting um, people to create content purely because I don't have enough time <laughs> to um, go through the review process. So um, unfortunately, we're not um, taking on board any, any medical students at the moment, but hopefully in a little while, I'll, be, I'll have a bit more time to be able to do that again. Um, another, a, a way that you, other people can get involved is on our website. You can submit award story, which is um, essentially just a reflection of an experience that you may have had um, in a medical setting. And, and it just might be that someone made an impression on you or you watched a doctor perform in a way that you would like to in the future or in a way that perhaps you would not like to perform in the future. Um, or perhaps you witnessed something that, you know, gave you, you know, insight into... I don't know, a specific condition or 
helped you remember something. So ward stories can be really anything that the writer wants it to be. We, we just ask that obviously we ensure that privacy is maintained within those stories. So we change names and um, make sure that they're respectful of everyone involved. Um, so you can submit a ward story on our website or you can read one of our many ward stories that we have sitting there. And then also people can subscribe on our website. Um, you just put in your email address and then we send out a monthly email with the one page summary and um, yeah, so they're the main ways at the moment, but you know, we're always open to feedback. So if there's ever anything that you see that, or you think that we could be doing something better or differently, um, always very open to feedback from all people. Uh, cause yeah, ultimately we want to be the best that we can be. Um, currently just time poor though, which is so sad, but, um, yeah, trying, <laughs> Yeah, that all sounds awesome. Um, like Ellen said, I feel like it's just so exciting to hear all the awesome things that you've got kind of coming up. Um, but also just to hear a little bit more about sort of the community oriented aspects of beauty with the medicine, like the way that people can kind of connect and contribute and sort of talk about their own experiences, which I think is so lovely to have a platform to do that. Um, so I think that just sounds, yeah, that sounds so great. Oh, wonderful. Uh, Absolutely. We'd love everyone to write a ward story. It doesn't matter if they're medical, like, you know, I think medical students might feel apprehensive to submit one, but I think often the insight that a medical student or a student doctor can have by the bedside is, is can be really profound because you're seeing it from a new lens. Um, and yeah, I often find the ones that are written by student doctors are more profound. Um, going off on a completely different and bit darker note, um, but I guess at, you know, at MedFem, that's something that we think about from time to time. Um, you know, there's obviously a lot of rumours about subtle or maybe not so subtle sexism within the medical system, both towards patients, between doctors. Um, so I guess we're wondering whether in your experience you found it to be as prevalent as it's rumoured to be, and if you found any sort of effective ways to manage or cope with that. Yeah, so it is certainly there. Um, I think that sexism is generally everywhere, um, but I think we are in the middle of a cultural shift and that's exciting. Um, certainly for me, I think at the hospital I am at is quite progressive. Um, their culture is quite progressive, so I think I'm really lucky there. Um, and I've been lucky with my interactions with colleagues. So it's been very rare that I have, very, very rare that I have experienced any overt sexism, except for patients. Sometimes patients, well, actually, it's the most common thing for female doctors. And I think particularly young female doctors is you'll often be assumed to be a nurse. Um, that probably happens to me every three days I'd say it's very very often that it happens you'll have your name badge on saying doctor you'll introduce yourself as the doctor and they'll still assume that you're the nurse and that's just that's just a societal thing that we'll need to catch up and and similarly I've seen male nurses being assumed to be doctors so um that's just that I just you know I don't get upset about it I just say no I'm actually your doctor and then you know if they take that on board they do that's wonderful and if not then we'll just carry on the conversation <laughs> and um you know I'll keep asking the questions if they continue to assume I'm, I'm the nurse that's fine we'll you know you just carry on but um yeah no I think I have been very lucky in terms of you know 
it's currently 2021. I think I'm lucky at the hospital I'm at. And I think all of that is due to all of the people that came before me um, that pushed against, you know, having terrible things said or, or done to them in the workplace. So I, yeah, I've been very fortunate and, and no, other than um, patients making comments or that might be inappropriate or yeah, I, I've been very lucky. And so no, I haven't experienced much myself from colleagues. We appreciate you kind of shedding a bit more light on that. Because as Jules said, it is something that's kind of discussed often, but um, not necessarily from people who have experienced it themselves. So it's always kind of appreciate any insight can shine a light on. Yeah. Um, I think we're coming, unfortunately, to the end of our time together. Um, but oh, I'm so nice talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we'd love to know if you have any final bits of parting advice for our listeners about anything to do with medicine or life advice in general. Yeah, I think... Um... I think that, if, I think coming back to if you feel like you don't fit in, I think you would be surprised to find that most people feel that way in medicine. Um, and so it's important just to have those conversations with people about within the profession who are senior to you or your peers about that you don't necessarily and just fit in and, and that just expressing that. You'll probably be surprised by what people say back because they'll probably be able to relate. I think if you are finding medicine to be overwhelming, that's normal because there is so much to learn and you can never know it all. Um, and it's just about trying to break things down into bite-sized pieces and knowing that when you finish medical school, you're actually not expected to know anything. <laughs> As an intern, you're kind of like the best I can put out not to be rude because I was in that position, but you're kind of glorified admin at the very beginning of internship. Um, so there's no, pre I just hope that people coming through medical school, I just remember thinking, oh my God, I need to know all of medicine before my very first day of internship. And people um, remember internships. So they'll like not expect you to know anything really, because none of us do when we finish medical school and it's just a slow learning process. And I don't know very much. And, you know, I ask my registrar questions all the time. So I think um, if you feel different or feel you know that you don't belong I think have a conversation about it with lots of people I think always ask questions because there are no silly questions and if someone says it's a silly question then that's their problem um you know you, you need to always and I ask questions all the time lots of really really annoying ones particularly for my cardiology registrar at the moment. um and then probably another piece of advice would just be you know if you feel like you'd like to take a year off there's you probably will get pushback or questions from people, but it doesn't really matter because it's ultimately your life and you only get one of them. And, um, you know, you want to be happy and enjoy your life. So, um, yeah, I've taken lots of years off of lots of different times. And, um, you know, some people would say, oh, but, you know, your peers are so much further ahead of you, but it's really, you're only racing yourself at the end of the day. So, um yeah, I just highly recommend taking that year off or that six months off or whatever. It might feel scary, but it's absolutely, absolutely worth it if you feel like it because you can't, I don't think you can lose. Thank you so much. That is such fantastic advice um, and just so reassuring to hear, you know, about that not needing to feel that pressure to know everything because I feel like, you know, 
I guess as medical students, like many of us have a tendency to be a little bit perfectionist. And I think we just put so much pressure on ourselves. And it's just nice to hear that there's not that expectation that we're going to need to know everything. I think also just like that reminder to just take time off when we need. I think that's such a great, like such a great piece of advice because it does kind of feel like go, go, go once you start. Um, And yeah, I think it's so important to just keep kind of checking in and just, yeah, like not being afraid to take a break. Um, So I think that kind of brings us to the end of our episode today. Um, But thank you so, so much for joining us. It's been so amazing talking to you and like listening a little bit more about your journey and your experiences. Um, You've just been such an awesome contribution to the podcast. Um, So we're so grateful that you would give us some of your very, very limited time. (laughs) No, no, no. Thank you for having me. I honestly feel honoured to have been asked. So yeah, it was, um, yeah, really, really lovely to talk with you both as well. And I, yeah, I hope that there was something there that was helpful for whoever is listening. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you again to Dr. Lucy Desmond for sharing your incredibly valuable insight today and for telling us a bit more about beauty within medicine. We are very grateful that you could share some of your time with us today. To our listeners, we hope you enjoyed today's episode and feel free to reach out to us at MedFem if you would like to discuss the podcast further. Have a great day, everyone.